is is out of town, um, and obviously Brother Daniel's out of town. So y'all be praying for them. Um, they are coming back tomorrow, I think. They're at, uh, if you don't know, they're at All Church Retreat. They're in Kansas, or Missouri, actually. Uh, Brother Lee's speaking there. So um, y'all be praying about that uh, and, and uh, praying that they have safe travel and mercies on the way back tomorrow. Uh, but this morning, we're going to look at, at something here in Psalm 119. We've actually been going through a series in the youth on Wednesday nights, um, and we do carry those over a lot of times in here on Wednesdays. If, if y'all have been in here with us, I know some of y'all have, have uh, heard some of the different stuff we've been doing. But we've been looking uh, at uh, new beginnings through God's Word, through a, 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 a series through Psalm 119. And so what we're doing in Psalm 119 is this is simply, uh, we're taking eight verses at a time. And if you've got your Bible open to Psalm 119, you can see that it's laid out in eight verse sections. Okay? And so we take eight verses at a time and we dive into what exactly the scriptures are saying there. But it's important that you understand, because we're obviously in Psalm 119 this morning, and it's important that you understand the context of Psalm 119 as we dive into this, this passage. We're obviously looking at verse 57 uh, through verse 60, which is not eight verses, but I'll explain that here in a minute. Uh, but the context of Psalm 119 is David's love for God's Word. Okay, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in our Bible. It's 176 verses, and we have some notes on that uh, here in a second. But it's the longest chapter in our Bible, and I think it's interesting that the longest chapter in our Bible is actually, it's like an autobiography of the Bible itself. It's the Bible talking about the Bible. And so, specifically this morning, we have some things we're going to look at uh, with understanding. Keep that context in the back of your mind, that that is what David is doing, is he is expressing his love for God's Word. And what's really interesting is David, what, what do we know about David? He's a man after God's own what? heart, right? Everybody knows that about David. He's a man after God's own heart, but only two times in David's life does he actually, in Scripture, tell God directly that he loves him. Okay, we've talked about this before. Only two times. Now, I'm not proposing to you that David didn't love God, but what he did do over and over and over throughout the Psalms, in Psalm 119 alone, over and over and over, he tells the Lord, hey, I love your word. I love thy law. I love thy precepts. I love thy judgments. And he's obsessed with the word of God. And so we're going to look at some things this morning in these, three, these four verses uh, that are extremely applicable when it comes to walking in, in the will of God. Okay, we're looking this morning at walking through God's hedges. That sounds like a weird, a weird title. Uh, and I'm not a Georgia fan. It, my mind immediately went to Sanford Stadium, so I almost had to change that up. But... We're going to explain all what that means, but let's read the text, I'll pray, and then we'll dive into it. So Psalm 119, verse 57. David says, Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways and, and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. Lord, I thank you for the, the Shadrach Trio being with us this morning, God, and the awesome job they did leading worship to you, God. I thank you for that. You're worthy of that. Lord, I, I pray that you would be with us time as we dive into your word. As I, as I say so much, as Brother Lee says so much, God, I truly have nothing to say this morning, God, outside of what you've already written in your word. Lord, I pray that your word and the Spirit of God would be the teacher this morning. God, the Spirit of God answers to the word of God, and so I pray that it would go forth this morning, God, and it would, it would penetrate hearts, it would 
comfort minds. It would do whatever it needs to do this morning in the hearts of your people. Pray that you would bless God and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So one thing we need to see, I've already kind of laid out some context here about Psalm 119, but uh, I was about to say something about the teens. We actually don't have one teen here this morning. Do we not? Huh? Daily Ray. Okay, our newest, our newest member of the youth group. Okay, I'm sorry, sorry, Daily Ray. So we have one. So she's going to get brownie points this coming Wednesday, and the rest of them we're going to have uh, some, some, some hard preaching to. Okay? But, in, so the Daily Ray knows this. She's already heard this. But in Psalm 119, as we look through this, this is important that we, we understand what we're looking at here. So this is the first part of your notes. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible with, with, with 176 verses. I've already laid that out. 173, or I'm sorry, out of the 176 verses, 173 of them are directly talking about the Word of God. Okay, that's, that's a pretty high ratio, right? 173 out of 176 are directly talking about the Word of God. Okay, and this is what you got to understand because it doesn't always say the Word or words of God, but precepts, testimonies, commandments, judgments, the law, and statutes are just another, another way of saying the Word or words of God. And there are 22 sections in Psalm 119 with each section being broken down into eight verses Okay, why is that a big deal? Well, that's why we've entitled this series, which we're just kind of diving into this morning together, but why I've entitled that over there, New Beginnings Through God's Word, because the number eight in our Bible means new beginnings. Okay, so now you could, you could say this. A critic could say, Dylan, you think that the number of verses on each section actually has meaning to it? I, I do. You believe that every single, okay, the, the question is, do I believe that every single word and every single placement of the word is, is put in here on a specific reason? And I do. That, that's the way God's preserved his word. And so the number eight is the, the number for new beginnings. So this is what David and the, the spirit of God is relaying. That new beginnings, okay, new beginnings come from the word of God. Okay, if you, if you want new beginnings in your life, if you want there to be new births, you want growth to happen in your life, it only comes through this book. It only comes from the Word. That's where it happens, okay? So d does it happen for a lost person that way? Absolutely. When somebody gets born again, we would say that's a new beginning, right? They become a new creature. Well, 1 Peter 1 says that somebody gets born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible which is the Word of God, okay? It's the Word of God that gets in that person, convicts their soul, and they turn to Christ, okay? But the same thing is true for, the, for, for us believers today. You know, Jesus Christ is your Savior. The same thing is true for us. Man, if I want new beginnings, if I want growth to happen in my life, because you know what's easy? It's easy to get saved and, and for things to be kind of happening. I don't know if that's, how if that's how it was in your Christian life. That's how it was for me. Things were happening. Things were moving. I felt like I could, I could sense the Lord in so many different areas in my life. But then you come to this place where you almost seem like you're, you're kind of stagnant. And things begin, are not moving and, and are not as fresh as they once were. Well, man, that's why the Word of God is so important in our life. Because this is where growth comes from. This is where new beginnings are birthed from. So, with the con okay, understanding that that is David's, uh, that is the spirit of God and David's viewpoint and, and what they're screaming in this whole, this whole chapter, we need to understand this, okay? I should have put something on our PowerPoint, but if you have your Bible open, do you, does anybody have their Bible open? They can see at the top of verse 7, of, above verse 57, it says Cheth. Everybody see that? Okay. 
So every, over each stanza there in Psalm 119, there is a Hebrew word, or it's a Hebrew letter is what it really is. And that's how, and there's 22 letters. We've already laid that out. Okay, but, but, okay, if we believe that every word of God is pure, we believe that God has laid this book out specifically for a reason, then that is in there for a reason. So it has some bearing on what this next section of Psalm 119 is saying, okay? Everybody tracking? And this is what Sheth means. It means a hedge or a fence. That's what, the, that's what that means. It means a hedge or a fence. And so we're talking this morning about walking through God's hedges. And so there's some things here that David is laying out in, in, these, in these eight verses. We're only tackling four for sake of time. Somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, Tori says, I get longer the older I get. I, I don't know if that, I, I've been getting wordy a lot recently, so I, I'm trying to, trying to shrink that down a little bit. Amen, Brother Charlie. But, but, okay, what David is laying out here is, man, there is a hedge. Okay, God has offered a hedge. We, we, we use that expression all the time, that God give us a hedge of protection. God has offered a hedge for those that walk according to this book. That's what David's laying out here, that there's a hedge offer. There's, there is this hedge of protection for those that would give their life wholly to this book. And then in return, that is how we walk in the center of God's will. God's will is directly attached to this book. This is the mind of Christ, and that is how we find that. So this is what we're saying this morning as, we, as we're diving into this, that continued fellowship with God's word and obedience to it leads us into God's perfect will for our life. And the perfect will of God is the, is the safest place on earth to be. Man, it's a hedge. God has offered that to his people. A couple verses that are not on your screen or not on the handout that would kind of testify to God's truth offering protection. Proverbs 30, verse 5, which I've already quoted this morning, every word of God is pure, right? Praise the Lord. But then notice what he says this. Listen, he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So the word of God, every word of God is pure, praise God. But man, there's some application there. I need to trust it. I need to allow it to be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. This word is what protects me. Psalm 91.4 says a similar thing. He says, he shall cover thee with his feathers. And under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. The very truth of God's word, thy word is truth. The very truth of God's word is the very thing that sets us on a path that keeps us inside the hedge that God has offered to his people. And that's what David's laying out here. So uh, Warren Wearsby said a very similar thing that I, that I just mentioned a second ago. But he said this, the safest place in all the world is in the will of God. So man, rhetorically, in your mind, please don't answer out loud, but rhetorically, ask yourself, man, as you examine your life, and only you and the Spirit of God know this. But are you in the center of God's will? The best you know? Are you right where God would have you in every place of your life? And if you're not, my second question would be this. How is your fellowship with the Word of God? How is your fellowship with the Word of God? Brother Lee's been going through this on Wednesday nights. And here, I haven't, I, we haven't listened to it, but I've, I've heard a few things. That, man, we are such a hurried people nowadays. We are such a busy people in the, the it, it, for whatever reason, 
for whatever reason, one of the first things that take it on the chin is our quiet time and alone time in fellowship with God. And man, that comes through this book every single day, allowing it to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So man, are you in God's will? Best you know how. I know we, we mystify that a lot of times, like, like God's will, you know, like it's, like it's this, this, uh, this road that we can't find and that God won't show to us, okay? But that's not, that's not true. Are you in God's will? And secondly, how is your fellowship with the Word of God? Because they're directly connected, okay? So I said that we would be in two places, Psalm 119 and Romans 12. So uh, Romans chapter 12, these are two very popular verses. And what we're going to try to do is, is show you how these verses of Psalm 119, they directly run parallel with these popular verses in Romans chapter 12, which is talking about the will of God and how we, how we uh, prove the will of God. So Romans 12 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's what we want to do, okay? And so David is going to lay out some things, some things that they may build upon one another, but it may be that I'm doing three of them and I'm not doing this one or whatever, okay? And you let the Spirit of God lead you in that. But there, there are things that we have to be mindful of and that we have to give application to on a consistent basis as we are walking in the Word of God every single day so that we may prove the will of God, so that we may, we, may, we may allow God's will to be done in our life. Okay, here we go. Five things, and that is not baptistic to have five points, but that's what we're going to do this morning. Five things. Number one, David lays out here that we must count the total of what you've been given. Count the total of what you've been given. Okay, verse, so look back at Psalm 119, verse 57. It says this, Thou art my portion, O Lord. So what, what, what are we talking about? We're saying counting the total of what we've been given. Okay, so if you're here this morning and you do know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, man, I would propose to you, you were given a ton at the moment of salvation. A ton. There was an amazing, that was an amazing spiritual transaction that took place, even if you didn't realize it. I didn't know all the things I got in on when I got saved. I've, I've learned more and more about that and grown and, and understood more about that as I've, as I've grown in the Lord. But at that very moment, man, you inherited an amazing uh, spiritual inheritance. So Psalm uh, uh, 16, verse 5, gives us a connection, okay? So we're, we're talking about counting the total of what we've been giving, okay? R analyzing all that God is in our life. That's what we're saying this morning. That's what David's laying out. He's saying, you are my portion, O Lord. So Psalm 16, verse 5 says this. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. So notice, notice this. He says, the Lord is my, he, he is the portion of mine inheritance. So we see a connection there between, and really it means a similar thing, that when, we, that when the Lord is our portion, we've also received an inheritance. Okay? Did Brother Charlie dip out on me? I think he did. Okay. Y'all just, y'all track with your, on your handout. All right? The Lord is our portion. So because of that, he is our inheritance. So how, how, is he, how has he become our inheritance? Well, there's several different, and that's your next blank. I know it's on the screen. 
But because he is our portion, we now have an inheritance. The first inheritance we've been given is, is, is heaven, okay? You see that in your handout, 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his, his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise the Lord. Verse 4, listen to this. To, okay, because of what we received in Christ, because of his resurrection, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Okay? So part of our inheritance, very simply, is the fact that Man, we have an eternal home waiting for us. And they sang about that this morning. That God has promised that John 14, that he, would, he has gone to prepare a place for us. Now, we make a lot in here about that salvation is about the, a person and not a place. And it's about Jesus. And we don't have to focus on getting there. We can live the abundant life now. But at the end of the day, if there were no such thing as eternity, then, man, we'd be wasting our time right here. It'd be a waste of time if all this was just for here and now. Okay, so part of our inheritance, part of the thing that we can count and be grateful for and be full of gratitude is the fact that, man, our inheritance brings the reality that heaven is our home one day, that we are going to spend eternity with him. The second thing that, that our inheritance links to that we can see from comparing Scripture with Scripture is that this inheritance brings one day a glorified body. It brings a glorified body. Notice Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just a couple ahead of you, Brother Charlie. Ephesians chapter 1, okay, which says this. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. Okay, that, that's how you got saved. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you heard it, you trusted, you trusted Christ, okay? That's the gospel. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit of God came, in verse 14, says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. So we, when you go and you buy a house now, what do you do? You, you put down earnest money. That's saying, hey, I got skin in the game. I'm not backing out of this thing. I, I, I want this house. You're putting your money where your mouth is, right? Well, that is what Jesus did with the Spirit of God in our life. The moment that you called upon Jesus Christ, if you've done that for salvation, the moment that you did that, he gave you the earnest, the down payment for this inheritance that we're talking about, which is the Spirit of God. Okay, and here's the actual inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, until the praise of his glory. So what is the, what is the, the, the finalization of our inheritance? Man, it's that we're getting glorified bodies that we're not going to be in this, this flesh and blood forever. Because you know why, you know why that's, you know why that's a, a praiseworthy thing to the Lord? Because this is what gives us the most trouble. This is what causes us issues. This is my, me and myself. I'm my greatest enemy. I get in my way way more than people get in my way. It's me. And so, man, that, that, is, what, that is part of our inheritance that God has reserved for us. Heaven is part of it. Praise the Lord. I mean, I don't know about you, when I got saved, you know what a big motivator was? I did not want to go to hell, okay? If you're more spiritual than me, I praise the Lord, but that was a motivator for me. I didn't want to go to hell. And, and heaven is reserved for those that call upon Jesus Christ. That's part of it. Secondly, this glorified body thing that we've laid out. But then thirdly, 
Again, we're just laying out our portion in the Lord and how we must count the total of that and be reminded of how gracious he is to offer these things. Thirdly, this, the, uh, a potential reward. So our inheritance reserves heaven one day. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Praise the Lord. Our inheritance uh, promises that we're going to get glorified bodies. But then also, our inheritance offers us, it offers us a potential reward. The ability that based on how consecrated and surrendered we are to Christ now, that we actually can receive greater reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And we've laid out a lot of these things, if you were in here on some of those Wednesday night services, but how that's going to translate into the millennium and us serving with the Lord in this kingdom. And that's a big deal, and we don't have time to chase that rabbit. Tori would definitely say I preached too long if I did that. So, but a potential reward, Colossians chapter 3. It says this, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Why, is it, why, why should we do that? Why is that a big deal? Verse 24, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. So this is how good God is to us, okay? We had, okay, you were lost in your sins. You had no hope. You had no way of being reconciled to God. Jesus Christ came, he shed his blood, he died on the cross to make payment arrangements for your sin debt. Okay, if you accepted Christ, you received the free gift of salvation. Something you couldn't earn, something you couldn't do that pays your sin debt. Okay, that reserved eternity It secured your eternity forever, praise the Lord. And at that moment, you, looking forward, knew that you would spend eternity with God. That would be enough, right? But then after that, he promises to take care of every need that we have here and now. He promises that, as they sang, that his grace would be sufficient for every trial and every issue in our life. But then even more than that, part of what he's given is he told us, hey, I want you to go and I want you to give your life for my causes. And if you do that, even though I've already done all these things, I'll actually reward you for it in eternity. That's the portion that the Lord has given us. He is our portion. And that's what David's saying here is he's saying, O Lord, thou art my portion. I think, I think, I think that the reason that, mo- that, that many Christians seem to be stale and seemed to be stagnant, and you couldn't get them to serve if you were to just, I mean, stir them like crazy. It's because they have lost the, their allness of how good God's been to them. They've lost the, the reality. They have forgotten to remember that the Lord is their portion. I mean, God has been, if, if they have nothing else but him, they, their life is grand. He's been gracious to them. And they've forgotten that reality. And it was, as we look back at at Exodus and and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we've talked a lot about that in here, but the the nation of Israel, as they got saved out of Egypt, right? That's a picture of our salvation. And then they were journeying through the wilderness, heading into Canaan, a picture of the abundant life. But in that, you know what they kept doing? They kept forgetting. They failed to remember all the time. And it caused a, a lack of gratitude, and it caused a lack of trust in the Lord. It caused them to, at times to want to turn back. And then it caused, ultimately, most of them never to enter, uh, enter Canaan. And so, man, we, we can't fail to remember that he's our portion. That, man, he has been gracious to us. And we have gotten so many things 
at the moment of our salvation, that that alone should be enough to motivate us, to drive us to spend time with him and fellowship with him because he is our portion. I think it's interesting. I'm, I made mention that, that uh, we got so much at the moment of salvation and we still probably don't even know all that we got at salvation. As we continue to study the word, we can learn more about that. But the term in Christ, okay, so when you got saved, you got placed in Christ. And I was studying around some of that this week, and the term in Christ was Paul's favorite expression for saying saved, okay? When we got saved, we got placed in Christ, and Christ was placed in us, right? The, the term in Christ is actually found 77 times in the Word of God. And again, as of, I've, numbers are a big deal to me in the Word of God, and you ought to study that out, but there's some, there's some, some significance there. So man, we can't lose sight of what God has given us in himself. 1 John chapter 5, he literally says that he himself, he that hath the Son hath life. Man, he himself is our portion. Number two, David's saying here that, uh, to call upon the Lord and surrender. So he's saying to count the total of, of what you've been given, remind yourself of, of, that, that God is your portion, that because he is in you, Man, you can do all things through him, but then number two, we must call upon the Lord and surrender. Notice verse, uh, verse 58. He says, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. So the, the word entreaty there, it, it means urgent prayer or earnest petition. So again, what David is saying here is because of his love for God's word. Again, that's the whole context of Psalm 119. Because of his love for God's word, because of his, his, his honest of the, the words that God has preserved for him, man, that drives him to, to thank the Lord for being his portion. And that drives his very prayer life. The way that I know that I'm not getting in the word as I should, or at least I'm not getting in it with a humble heart, is, when, is when, I, when my prayer life begins to suffer. This book always drives us to greater fellowship with the Lord. That's what David's laying out here. So he says, I entreated thy, thy favor with my whole heart. Again, man, his whole heart saying, man, he is, he is all in. He is fully surrendered to whatever it is that God would have for him. Psalm 119 verse 10 says this, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. So these first two points here, they, again, I said we're paralleling this with Romans chapter 12. So this is, this is how we can see this. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Okay, there, there is the first thing. So we have to remind ourselves, we have to count the total of what we've been given. So how do we present our, our bodies li living sacrifices? Through the mercies of God. Man, it's through reminding ourselves of how merciful and gracious God has been to us that, we, that, that even drives us to the place of presenting ourselves living sacrifices. So I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, okay? That's the, that's the, the counting the grand total of what we've been given. That is reminding ourselves that God is our portion. But then secondly, how do we, how do we actually, uh, it says that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice? I know no other way to present my body a living sacrifice other than calling upon the Lord in prayer. That's how we do that. How do we present ourselves before the Lord? We do that in the form of prayer. 
We're offering ourselves on the altar in prayer before the Lord. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So again, I ask the question, and we'll keep asking this through this, but are you, are you in the center of God's will? Is there something in your life that keeps you from presenting your body a living sacrifice unto him? Because according to the Apostle Paul, man, that's, it's just your reasonable service. It's not a home run. It's not a, it's not a grand slam. It's just a, ground out, it's just a ground out to the infield. It's a routine play. Presenting ourselves a living sacrifice to the Lord. And we do that by reminding ourselves of what he's done for us and then calling upon him in, in a consistent prayer life on a consistent basis. Okay, the number three. David's laying out here that we must consider where we are heading. Okay, this is where it gets to, again, we're talking about David's fellowship with this book and how this book is what protects him and, and sets him on the course to be in the center of God's will. So David's saying, hey, you need to consider where you're heading. So we're asking the question, are you in the center of God's will? If you're not, what David's asking you this morning is to consider where you're heading. Examine yourself and analyze where exactly is it that you're trying to go. He says in verse 59, he says, I thought on my ways. I thought on my ways. Man, the very thing, and, and Brother Lee's been laying out some things about the prodigal. The very thing that keeps some, let's say I have a friend, and this friend is, he is taking a detour outside the will of God. He's living in disobedience. He knows the Lord. He knows the Word of God. But he's living outside the confines of the will of God for his life. Okay, you know what's so hard and what's so oftentimes the case? It's hard to get those people to sit down and to think on their ways. It's hard to get them to sit down and to, to, to analyze exactly what, where it is they're trying to go. And especially according to the Word of God. So David says, I thought on my ways. Romans 12, 2. This is, this is the, the section that, that compares with that. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the way, okay, so if we're talking about thinking our ways, to examine and, and to take a zoomed out view of where it is our feet are pointed, the way, the way that we do that is by getting in the very mirror of God's word. It exposes where we're heading. It exposes where our feet are pointed. It exposes that, man, when my feet are pointed over here, this is not where they're to be pointed. And you know what's interesting? When I want to go, go somewhere, you know what I do? I always realign my feet to go that direction. When I want to head out those back doors this, this afternoon when we leave, you know what I'm going to do? My feet are going to go there, and I'm going to end up there. And that is how we, we think on our ways and analyze where it is our feet are pointed is based on what this book says. So being transformed by the renewing of our mind, okay, that happens by getting in the mind of Christ. It transforms our thinking. It gets us thinking less like the world and gets us thinking more like the Lord, like the mind of Christ. Luke 15, verse 17 says this, and when he came to himself, that's what, that's what Brother Lee's been preaching on. And when he came to himself, this is the prodigal. He's out living, and he's, he's out living in the, in the world. He, he, has a, he has an inheritance with his father back at home. He's left that. He's living outside the father's will for his life. And there was a moment in his life where he came to himself. You know what he started doing? He started thinking on his ways. 
he started thinking, you know, this is, this is really dumb. God, the, my father's offered all this, and I'm over here. And man, that is what a Christian must do that is outside the will of God, is you've got to come to yourself. You've got to start thinking and, and noticing where your feet are pointed. Haggai 1.5 says, Now therefore, saith the, Lord, uh, saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So what I'm asking you this morning, again, as you, as you analyze, if you're in the center of God's will, if you're not, man, I want, I want you to consider where you're heading. I want you to consider where you're heading. And this is the way that we do that. The process, here, this blank is in your notes. The process of considering is examining your life through the lens of the Word of God. That's how we do that. The, the way that we consider is by viewing our life through the lens of this book. And doing it over and over and over again. Fellowship on a daily basis. That's how we do that. So are you, are you in the center of God's will? Have you counted the total of what you've been given? Is your prayer life a prayer life that is, that is you presenting your body fully in surrender to him on a consistent basis? If it's not, I want you to consider where you're heading. And number four. Once we view our lives through the, lens of the, uh, through the lens of the Word of God, number four, change what God is telling you to change. What this message simply is, what David's laying out here in these first four verses is really the whole Christian life. It's how we allow the Word of God to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. He, so he tells us, man, once you've considered where your feet are pointed, okay, so I'm, I'm viewing my life next to the Word of God on a daily basis. Okay, and as I do that, I realize, okay, you know what, man, my feet are, my feet are kind of pointed over here, and they need to be pointed over here. Well, what I'm to do is to realign my feet based on the direction that the Word of God is telling me to realign them. So we must change, we're changing what God tells us to change. Look at verse 59 again. So the first thing is to consider, David says, I thought on my ways, notice this, and turn my feet unto thy testimonies. He turned his feet unto his testimonies. Brother Mark said this. He quoted it actually quite a, bit, quite a few times. Brother Mark Trotter, he said this. You always end up where your feet are pointed. You see, that's the great danger in not considering where we're heading. That's the great danger in not analyzing in my own life, hey, God, where are my feet actually pointed right now? Because again, if I want to head out those back doors, you know what? I'm eventually going to arrive where my feet were actually pointed to begin with. That's where I'm going to get. And it's a crazy thing. That is the truth that the, that, the, that the Lord lays out in his word. But yet, there are Christians all over the place, and I've been here. There are Christians that bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, lack of fellowship with the word of God, don't get in their word, don't pray. And then they look up in, in, in five years, and they're like, well, how in the world did I get here? Man, they just got where their feet were already pointing. And over time, you know what? That path, when you take two paths and they slowly are going in different directions, you know what happens over time? They get further and further apart. And that is what happens when we don't stop to say, Lord, help me to consider my ways next to your word. And therefore, we don't change our feet according to what, he, to what he tells us to change. So Romans 12, 2 again. 
this is the, the proving aspect, changing what God tells us to change. This is the proving aspect of the will of God. So he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove. Okay, so if, if I get to the place where I realize, hey, God, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not in the center of your will. My fellowship with you has suffered over, over the last several, several years, several months, several weeks, whatever it is. God, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God, I'm going to consider my ways according to your word. Let's say I get there. Okay, if I don't actually then, after that, when he exposes, because, you know, he always exposes where my feet are pointed. That's what this book does. It's a mirror, like I said. He exposes where my feet are pointed. If I don't then realign my feet, you know what? I'm not going to prove the, the, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because it's not what we know about this word, but it's what we obey that changes our life. It's what we heed to. It's what we actually give application to. So, in your notes, you cannot prove the will of God if you never act on what he tells you in his word. And man, that is the greatest danger or the greatest subtle temptation that can happen in discipleship. Man, we can get full of knowledge. We can get in this book, we can grow, we can learn, we can learn a bunch of facts. And that knowledge, hey, knowledge is important. But like we, like we talked about with the seven stages of spiritual growth, if it doesn't translate to virtue, and to me, realigning my feet and saying, Lord, this is what your word says, and I'm going to direct my life based on what that says. If it doesn't produce any obedience, it doesn't change lives. And so we must change in our life what God tells us to change. We always end up where our feet are pointed. We must realign our feet to the word of God. There is no proving the will of God without this. And this is actually how God begins to direct our steps. So we're talking about walking in the word of, we're talking about walking in the will of God. Okay, this is how this process begins to happen. If somebody's over here outside the will of God, we want them, we, I desi- the, the Lord desires them in his will. He desires them walking in obedience, okay? When they begin to consider their ways, they consider where their feet are pointed. And then they begin to change the alignment of their feet based on what they saw in God's word, based on what he exposed to them. This is actually how God begins to direct their steps. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says this, A man's heart deviseth his way. Okay, So the Lord may give us desires. The Lord may give us burdens. He may give us uh, things in our heart that we, we are reacting to. But then notice this, But the Lord directeth his steps. So it's through that. It's through me realigning my feet every single day. It's the long game with this. It's not a one-time thing. It's me realigning my feet every single day according to this book, and that is how he begins to direct my steps. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But notice this, and he delighteth in his way. And he delighteth in the way that the Lord is directing in through the very words of God. So here we go, our next blank in this, and then we'll get to the last point. Changing where we step based on what God tells us in his word, is the way God directs us toward his will. And we've already laid that out. But changing where we step, based on what God tells us in his word, is the very way 
that God directs us toward his will. And then number five. So again, I said this is the whole Christian life. So if you, okay, you're outside the will of God. Or if you are inside the will of God, this would be a, a, this would be a thing of maintenance, of staying, keeping our feet <coughs> exactly where the Lord would have us. Okay, we need to consider our ways every single day. Always be examining, God, where is it that my feet are pointed? Secondly, we change what God tells us to change based on the Word of God. But then the last point here, I want you to notice this. Once we've done that and we're walking in accordance to the Word of God, this is, our, this is the point that, that drives us for the remainder of our life. We must continue to obey God immediately. Continue to obey God immediately. Notice what he says in verse, verse 60. So we read verse 59. He says, I thought of my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. But then verse 60, he said, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. He says, I made haste and delayed not to keep that commandment. You know, it's weird because we teach our kids, and we're going to get to this, but we teach our kids to not make decisions quickly, right? At least I do. I, mean, I try to you know, walk my kids through how to, how to reason things and to think through things and all those kind of things. And that is actually a biblical principle. We see that in Proverbs 19.2 on your handout there. He says, also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. Okay, right? So, but the problem is, we kind of have a, what seems like a contradiction from Psalm 119, verse 60 to Proverbs 19, 2. Because David says, I made haste and delayed not to keep that commandment. So this is, this is what we gather from that. Our first subpoint in this point. It is a sin to react quickly in anything outside of obeying God. It is a sin to react quickly in anything outside of obedience to the Lord. You know what's weird? I'll analyze, uh, I'll, I'll do things out in this world, I'll make those decisions so, so quickly, right? I'll make some of those decisions so quickly, but when it comes to doing things that God has made very clear in my life, man, I'll stall for months. I'll, I'll stall, and I'll stammer, and I'll, yeah, but God, you know, I'll, I'll pull the whole Gideon thing. God, let me throw out my fleece. Let me throw out this. God, really show yourself to be true in this if you want me to do that. Man, I, I, I delay in obeying the Lord. And so what David is laying out here is, man, the one thing that we can make haste to do if we have considered our ways and if we have changed what God told us to change according to his word is, man, we don't have to think about it. We can immediately decide to obey God on a daily basis. Luke 19.5 says this, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. This is Zacchaeus, we know this. And said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Man, we don't have to delay in coming to, to Christ with our, with our problems. We don't have to delay in obeying God and, and coming to the Lord and, and walking in his will according to his word. So this is our, our, our first sub-point in this, at, our second. At times, we spend more time worrying about what not to do rather than doing what we know to do. So isn't that very easy? I mean, it's easy to, again, like I said, if you're like me, you, you make the, the worldly decisions very quickly sometimes, which is foolish. But then when it comes to obeying God, you stall. And you worry about God, I don't, but I don't know about this, or God, I don't know about this, or God, I'm, I'm worried about this, rather than just simply 
with zeal obeying what God told us to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than, than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Man, that's what David's laying out here. That we do have to be cautious if our feet are aligned off the path that God desires for our life. But once we've considered those steps, once we have realigned our feet next to this book and, and, and put them on the path that this book would tell them to, then, man, we don't have to delay. We can simply, with zeal and with passion, obey God and allow him, him, him and his will and his path to bring glory to his name. So here's our last sub-point. Walking in God's will, and if y'all, if y'all would, if y'all, however y'all want to do that, just come with us. We'll do a song of invitation. But walking in, walking in God's will is simply determined by how we respond to truth. Walking in God's will is simply determined by how we respond to truth. So again, I'll ask you this morning. Are you in God's will? Best you know how. Are you in the are you right? Are your steps right in the line that you believe God would have them in every area of your life? If you're if they're not, my question is, man, how are you responding to truth on a daily basis? John 17, 17 says that thy word is truth. This book is the very source of truth in our life. And so, man, again, as, as we've looked through this and as Brother Lee's been laying things out on Wednesday night, if you've been hearing that, man, how is your fellowship and your quiet time and alone time with the Word of God? We can't expect to be in the center of God's will without that. And, man, if you're here this morning and I say, I've said all that and I've talked all about the, the will of God and, and how God, how there's a hedge around that, those that are walking in the center of truth and all that, and yet you've never accepted Christ, I know based on 2 Peter 3, God's will for you is that you come to repentance. He's long-suffering is what the verse says, that not willing that any perish. And the very thing that we looked at with the inheritance, all those things offered, and the amazing spiritual transaction that takes place at salvation, that can happen for you this morning. It's a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you've never accepted Christ and you have questions about that, man, I would love to take this Bible and show you how you can call upon Christ and receive that gift today and begin this journey and this walk in the will of God that we talked about. So as they sing this morning, you do business with the Lord this morning as, as the Lord leads you.